Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Alvin. For those of you here for the first time, serve as lead pastor at this church, and uh, I am really excited to celebrate this big day with everybody here. Thanks for coming out, celebrating with us. Um, I do want to thank the music team for bringing a, a party for the occasion twice. They did that again. They did that in the morning, and they did it again at 11 15, and I just love you guys. Thank you for all that you do. Um, I got a confession to make of these 10 years of, of Nashville life. I've only been pastor for one of those years. Um, the other nine were carried by these individuals, my parents, and I just want to honor them again. The Bible says give double honor to our leaders, so I'm going to give you guys double honor. I'm going to ask you guys to come on up. They're going to share some words with you. Address your flock. <laughs> God bless you. you. may be seated. Welcome, everybody, to Nashville Life. Um, it's been such an honor to, to work along with my husband, and um, all I can say is God is faithful. God is faithful. Earlier in the service, I told him he, he was faithful in year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, and even though you, you hit hard places and you... If you feel the turbulence sometimes, it's just amazing. You turn around and God continues to take you higher. You know, this, this church was God's idea. And he's, he's molding it and he's shaping it. And I know that we're going to touch the world. So I'm so proud of you, Nashville Life. We love you and it's been an honor. Yeah. Ten years. Can you believe it? Ten years. For those who don't know, we started in our living room at our house and... Um, when I was thinking about 10, um, after we had DMS at our house, we had 80 people at our house uh, on, the last, on the second DMS before we started our church. And so we said, how many people want to come next Tuesday? We're going to start our church. And if you want to be a part of Nashville Life, come. So I set out 10 chairs in a circle. And 10 people came. And then another 10 came. And another 10 came. And we started with 34 people. Uh, t 10 years ago, and, um, and God has been faithful every step of the way, even when we didn't know what we were doing. God knew what he was doing. So for anybody in here who feels a calling uh, God on their lives and you don't feel qualified, just say yes. Just say yes. God does the rest. He just needs your obedience and your faithfulness, and he'll do the rest. So enjoy the rest of the service. Happy anniversary. Nashville life. Awesome. Well, for the message today, I was torn because it's our anniversary, and I always love telling the testimony of how our church started, but I also really like our series that we're in, and I was like, what do I do? And I'm going to try to do both. I'm going to touch on the series that we've got going, um, and then tell a little bit about how we got started as a church, because it ministers to me every time I tell it. I remind myself, and uh, I just love the testimony um, of the saints. I love hearing and sharing what God has done in our lives. It's so powerful. And um, so pray that I get through both. Uh, the theme for 2022 uh, is withstanding the win. Withstanding the win is the theme that Nashville Life is, 
is really focusing on during this year. And it's inspired by a passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. And it's John the Baptist who's talking about the coming Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. And this is how John describes Jesus uh, in Matthew 3, 12. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The winnowing process that John is referring to is a process done when harvesting wheat. Uh, there's a separation process that's involved that separates the wheat the part that we do eat from the chaff, the part that we don't. And uh, winnowing is when you use winds, the natural winds, or you can actually generate winds with a fan. And you allow wind to separate the wheat from the chaff. Because chaff is very loose, and it's easily blown away. And the wheat, even though it's challenged by the wind, and even though it feels the wind, it's not blown away by the wind. It has a built-in weight to it that's able to withstand the wind. So this is a metaphor to Jesus and the church. The church is one big harvest. Jesus is gathering the harvest, but the harvest is not unlike wheat. It's, it's people. The harvest is people. He's harvesting people to take up to the Father, to be living in, in eternity with, with, with God the Father and him. But during his harvesting process, there is a winnowing process that happens where he's separating the wheat from the chaff. People who, who are easily blown away versus people who, who are rooted in Christ. People whose faith is secure in Jesus. And it's very important that we understand that this is happening. Even now, this very day, until he comes back, he's allowing winds to blow. Not to mess up his harvest, but to identify his harvest. So as we, as the church, we have to make sure that we're rooted in Jesus. We have to make sure that our faith is secure and strong enough to withstand the winds of our time. And there's a lot of winds happening. And uh, for 10 years of our church, you know, you don't, you don't survive 10 years of a ministry without going through some, some serious winds. And uh, that's why we celebrate. That's why it's such a, a reason to, to celebrate, because if you have gone for 10 years, you've been through some things, and you've endured it. And of all the wins that we've experienced as a church, um, and this is just me being transparent, I can't think of a more violent wind that has challenged the community of Nashville life than what we're talking about for the month of March, and that's the wind of offense. The wind of offense. People getting offended over, over, it could be small things, but it grows and it festers and it spreads and it becomes something very difficult to, to, to get rid of. And as we celebrate these 10 years, I think it's very important that we also learn from these 10 years so that the next 10 years can be even greater than the former, right? The God, I believe God is taking us from glory to glory. I believe that every chapter needs to build on the last one, right? So we've got to learn from the good things that we've done and also the mistakes that we've made as a community. Um, when it comes to offense, it's inevitable. It's, an, it's inevitable for us to not 
uh, or it's inevitable for us to step on each other's toes sometimes, um, rub each other the wrong way, say things that the other person wished we didn't say, say things in the way that we wish other people wouldn't say. Um, and these things are just bound to happen with human beings. Jesus says it is impossible that no offenses should come. However, um, it's not so much that offense is the issue, but it's how we deal with offense. Jesus gives us very specific, very important and thoughtful instructions on how to handle offense, not if it comes, but when it comes. And the cool thing about offense is it, it, it has the potential to do, to do two things. If, you, if it's handled unbiblically, it can divide relationships. I've seen some of the most beautiful, some of the most godly, spiritual, intimate relationships totally severed to where they're not even talking anymore because of an offense not being handled the way Jesus instructs us to handle them. And on the other end, offense, when handled the way Jesus instructs them to handle, to be handled, they can actually save relationships and even strengthen relationships. I've seen uh, situations where when an offense is dealt biblically, they actually end up closer than they were before the offense. If I'm honest, that has been less than the, the, the alternative. I've seen offense uh, within our community be handled uh, unbiblically more than I have seen it handled biblically. And um, I'm not, we're not proud of that, but we also can learn from that, right? So where it can, it can make us better in the future. And I've been analyzing this because I've been, I've noticed this problem probably, honestly, since for the past seven years, probably around year three, I was like, you know what our kind of kryptonite is? Like our, our, our weakness, we're, we're unstoppable. This church is amazing. I've always been a huge fan of Nashville life before I was pastor of it. I just thought we were just really special. But I knew that was like, this, this one weakness that we have, and it, it comes to conflict resolution and dealing with things the way Jesus tells us to deal with it when things are, uh, when there's offense. And we preach on it. I can't tell you how many times I've read these scriptures and it always seems to happen every year, every year. I'm like, Lord, what is it? Because I know people aren't just deliberately disobeying this. Surely they really want to do the right thing. Surely they're trying. What is it? And I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to me um, two areas that we're overlooking, and it's causing us to not fully obey Jesus' instructions in regards to handling offense. And the thing about partial obedience is the way our human understanding thinks is that almost like doing part of the assignment. We think, well, at least I did some of it. But when it comes to Jesus' commands and obeying his instructions, I've learned that partial, dis I'm sorry, partial obedience produces the same fruit as disobedience. You would think, again, our logic thinks if I partially obey, then I'll get partial fruit. But it doesn't work like that in the spirit realm. If we partially obey Jesus' instructions, the results will be as if you didn't do any of it. And um, I know that sounds radical, but take it from me, it is true. Take it from the word, it is true. And I was like, what are we overlooking? And I think I boiled it down to two words in regards to handling offense in the way that Jesus instructs us to do it amongst each other. And the two words are speed and privacy. Speed and privacy are two 
of the areas and two of the words that I believe have been most overlooked in trying to obey Jesus' commands of when a brother or a sister in the church offends us. I'm going to speak to speed first, and then we'll touch on the second word on privacy. It says, speed, Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. This is Jesus speaking on how to handle offense. He says, so, this is Jesus talking. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, your brother has offended you, your sister has offended you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This passage the mistake that a lot of us make is we take this passage and think the takeaway is we need to be reconciled with our brother or our sister. But this scripture is not about reconciliation alone. It's about speedily, speedy reconciliation. It's about fast reconciliation. He's referring to time. He goes, if you are giving an offering, Jesus wants us to be so speedy about addressing offenses with each other that we don't even have time to give our offering. The Bible says before you even give your offering, go handle that first. So what's happening is people are going, cool. The takeaway is I need to reconcile. But that's not the full word. The full word is you need to reconcile before you do anything else. So what's happening is people are choosing to settle things, but they're waiting too late. And offense is a lot like cancer in that the longer that it grows the worse that it gets so stage four cancer is a lot harder to conquer than stage one and what happens is offenses that aren't even that big there's an offense that might even be small but things don't stay small so even though the act was small if it if time goes by it grows to where it's it's such a beast to where the the, the apology or the the small the apology that would have taken care of the offense while it was still fresh proves to not be enough to take care of the offense after it's been sitting for six or seven months. Um, and I've seen it happen. There's another scripture that points to it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, don't let the sun go down, down while you are still angry. Again, that's more than just saying settle your anger. It's talking about speed. It's saying take care of it fast. Take care of it within the next five hours because the sun is setting. And for you smart guys out there, if the sun's already set on your anger, then, then handle it before the sun goes up. I know my audience. But what if it, okay, yeah, before the sun goes up, the, 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 the point is do it fast. Speed. What's happening is we've got people who we we are we're confronting, and we're dealing with it, but we're taking too long to do it, and we're wondering why the confrontation and the 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 meeting wasn't successful because you didn't obey it fully. He didn't say just do it when you feel led. He says do it before you do anything else. He says, do it before the sun goes down. And what's happening is we're seeing these small offenses grow. And when it's time to confront it, the apology proves to not be enough. It becomes insufficient because that person's apologizing for the small offense, not for the magnified version that has grown in your heart and in your mind. 
So speed is the first thing that I think we're overlooking. And the second one is privacy. Everyone say privacy. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And alone is where we get the word privacy. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. See how handling offense can actually save your relationships? If you handle it biblically, it will save your relationships. It'll save your friendships. And the cool thing about it is the next verse says, if they don't receive you, if they say you're crazy and I'm not owning up to that and that's wrong, even then it says only involve one to two people max and bring them into it. So even that is still a private matter. Like I talked about with speed, offense is very much like cancer in the sense that if it spreads, it's harder to conquer. What do doctors say? We're so glad we caught it before it spread. Let's say Chaz. Let's say Chaz offends me, which he hasn't. But let's say Chaz offends me. And I am reading my Bible. I go to Nashville Life. I heard the message. And I'm like, oh, I need to confront Chaz because Jesus wants me to confront Chaz about the offense and that he hurt my feelings. But by the time I tell Chaz, I've already told four other people. And by the way, even though I told four people, 13 people know because all those four told some others in confidence. As a prayer request. So, so I go to Chaz going, hey, man, you hurt my feelings the other day. And he goes, oh, man, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. Me and Chaz are cool, but Chaz now has no idea that there's 12 other people within the congregation looking at him sideways because of a secondhand thing they heard from somebody else. It's like cockroaches. You kill a cockroach and you think it's done, but if that cockroach has already laid eggs, then you haven't done anything. You're like, cool, I killed that cockroach, but that cockroach has already done its business. So about time I end up reconciling with Chaz, I've already laid eggs. When you share offenses with people other than the ones who offended, you're laying eggs of cancer. Laying eggs of offense. And, and, when, it's, when, it's, and when it was enough for us, Yes, he apologized to me, and yes, we're cool, but he has no idea that there's 12, and now at this point, because there was a prayer meeting the other day, now there's 25 others. Because they all had to process what Chaz did to Alvin. And he's walking having no idea. That's the cancer that we have to make sure that we're vigilant about, because it spreads, and again, it's not impossible for cancer that is spread to be conquered, but it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to kill it once it's spread than when it's in one area, one spot. So speed and privacy, those are the two things that I personally believe as pastor of Nashville Life and as a member of Nashville Life for nine years. I think those are the two things that have been the most overlooked. I think we get that we're supposed to confront, but we're confronting too slowly, and we're confronting after we've told other people in confidence. And by the way, every person that you told in confidence, I promise you they told somebody else. 
I promise you. Because it's unbiblical. It's sin. You can't negotiate with the devil. You can't put the devil in time out and say, stay here. Once you step into sin, sin all, you, you, we think we have control over sin. If you allow it, 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 it does its job. It does, the very thing that you planted, I guarantee you, is being planted to someone else, which is why Jesus was so specific of saying, talk to that person alone. Because he knew the potential of this thing. So as Nashville Life, if we want to learn, let's stop calling the bluff of Jesus. Let's stop thinking that he just said that because he felt like it. He says it because he means it. And I really wanted to end because we're, we're done with that series for this month. And I wanted to say speed and privacy are two very needed things to emphasize within our community if we don't want to repeat history. If we want to learn from history, I'm telling you the culprits are speed and privacy, or the solutions, as I say. The culprits are the lack of speed and the lack of privacy. I'm telling you guys, I've seen some of the best relationships. I mean, God-ordained, beautiful relationships, totally ruined because of this one area. So let's be wise and let's move on. So I talked about our weaknesses. Let's talk about our strengths. Let's talk about what I think makes Nashville life... Uh, so strong, and it's actually connected to, to our weakness, and I think it's relationships. I think Nashville Life, the relationships that, fo- that are fostered through this community are just, to me, second to none. The brothers and sisters, it's the leader to, to disciple relationships. I just, it's amazing seeing the family that the Holy Spirit really builds through this church, which makes sense that the enemy uses offense so because it's such a, it's, it's, it's the attack to our strength. As long as we're united, the enemy knows that he's toast. Which is why he's so adamant about making sure that we get offended. Because he knows if he can break our unity, he can break our power. I'm going to read the scripture in 1 Corinthians 1.10 to just show how important unity is. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Peter, Paul says, now I plead with you. He's, he's begging. Brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you are perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul was pleading for the church to be to have no divisions and to me, if we're going to be a church with no divisions, we have to become experts at knowing how to manage and deal with offense in a biblical way. All right, relationships. Our church, I believe, has had a testimony of, of supernatural unity. And I say that because if you look around this room, in the world, this room makes no sense. For there to be a Sunday morning in a room that looks like this, this defies what the world says is possible. The fact that Nashville Life has been able to house the spectrum of people some of those random people <laughs> that would uh, that would have 
in any other context would have nothing to do with each other. And we worship together. And not only worship together, but we, we're friends. Like we're eating together and we're laughing together and we're praying for each other. This is supernatural. This is something that, that, that only God can do. And it was very strategic. I believe the Lord wanted this to happen. This is the vision that I believe he gave our family. Our family is kind of the beginning of the ministry. It was me and my parents and uh, Ashley, my sister. Before we were a church, we were a family. Before we even knew we were going to have any of this, we were a family. And we were a family with issues. Um, I had a lot of offense in my heart towards my parents, a lot of resentment. And uh, it made me very callous to intimate relationships. Um, I didn't have really any. I had a lot of friends, but no one really got past the surface. And it left me really, really lonely, really isolated. And I, I ran away. Very dramatic. Um, <laughs> ran away. Um, to another continent. I went to Australia. I went to Melbourne, Australia. And the Lord, by his mercy and by his grace and by the prayers of my parents and saints probably all over that I don't even know, um, God intervened. And he led me very unexpectedly into a church community that really served as like a practice family. In retrospect, I see that they were really practiced for what God wanted to do in Nashville with this church. So he gave me kind of a a set of parents in Australia, Diane and Brahm Manusama, they were my pastors, and he gave me brothers and sisters with their kids, and they were all my age, they all loved music, they liked the same, it was perfect, it was so tailor-made for me, this community, and um, I want to identify three things that were pivotal in my walk that I think have been essential elements in Nashville life and the DNA of this church. So if this is your first time here, it's great. You're going to get just a crash course in the heart of Nashville life. Uh, the first thing I want to highlight is the confession of sins. This is a very lost art, I believe, in the body of Christ. And I'm going to read a scripture that points to the significance of it. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This ministry that I was a part of in Australia, they had a discipleship class. Think of it as a life group. And there was a part in time where they, they gave space for people to uh, raise their hand. It was like a quiet, worshipful time, and a leader would come to you, and you got to share heavy things that are on your heart sins in your life that have caused a lot of shame. So I rose my hand and the assistant pastor, Frank, came to me and I began to just air out a whole list of stuff. And he began meeting with me regularly and it brought a great degree of healing. But he ended up giving me courage to then do the same thing to my pastors, my senior pastors, Diane and Brom. So I ended up confessing them and they started ministering to me. And then they gave me the courage to fly back to Nashville at the end of my trip and have big talks with my parents. So I got to air out a lot of things to them. And I brought my sister in. And I brought a few brothers. And I just began to really open up. And, and it brought the intimacy that I was lacking. Because when you're not, when you have walls, you can't get that contact. 
You know, if there's a wall between this hand and this hand, these hands can't touch. It's not until the wall's over that you can actually get that, that, that connection. And I saw that happen, and it revolutionized my life, and it brought a faith that, to be honest, was pretty dormant. It brought it to life. All of the information that I heard growing up had just been sitting, like, deflated. And it was almost like once I started confessing and opening up, pe- opening up to people, air started coming into all of the deflated, like, truths. They became alive. They started to have substance. And it, it, it really made a huge difference in my life. Um, I still am such a champion for it. I believe that it is really the, the key to being healed. Notice James says, confess that you may be healed. It doesn't say confess that you may be forgiven because if we confess the Lord, he forgives us. But there's a lot of, it is possible to be forgiven and not healed in case you didn't know. It is possible to be forgiven of your sins but still held uh, hostage by your sins. I was forgiven of my sins, but I didn't experience healing until I actually told another individual. Um, They were leaders in our church. They were trusted people. Um, I believe you need to be wise, but don't let your wisdom keep you silent. Wisdom will tell you who to tell, but it won't tell you not to tell. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you need to share with people, but I, it was my assistant pastor, it was my senior pastor, my parents, and, and brothers in Christ that, I, that were holding me accountable. Um, that was huge. That was a pivotal moment in my life, and it's been, I've seen it in this room. I've seen individuals that things didn't really kick into a new gear until they started confessing things that they are really ashamed about. Second thing that was pivotal in my life, that's a huge element of the DNA of this church, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, Luke chapter 3, verse 16. This is John the Baptist again. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He's talking about Jesus. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that word is extremely important. He uses the word fire because if you fast forward to the book of Acts, you see that the promised fire that John talked about and that Jesus promised came upon the believers. But the fire came in the form of tongues. And the Bible says as the fire came upon them, they begin to speak in tongues, that they begin to prophesy. And this was something that I didn't have active in my life. And when that began, and I began to step into the, the ins and outs and the truths and the power that came with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, actually experiencing the manifestation of God's fire in my mouth, in my heart, it began to um, revolutionize my faith, my Christian walk, my perspective, my ability to interpret revelation from Scripture. I read the Bible totally different. They were jump, words were jumping out of the page. I was able to connect concepts that before not only did I understand, but I was bored by. And all of a sudden, I was so interested in the Word of God. I was so interested, and I saw the Word of God in real life. And I saw real life in the Word of God. And the division between the Bible and real life was totally demolished. 
And it made me so happy. It made me so excited. And I became passionate about it. But then I moved back home to Nashville. And at the time, my community was like a sleep town. It wasn't like what we have here. My friend circle, we were believers, but in the lightest sense of the word. And when I came back to Nashville, I was like, how am I going to sustain this fire in this? (laughs) And the Lord was like, trust me, trust me. And he had to let me know that he was working. Because I prayed a lot of prayers in Australia that God could bring what a little, uh, just even a taste of what I had in Australia to Nashville. And he surpassed that prayer. Um, but my point is, uh, I had a roommate. Some of you guys know him. His name is Trey Smith. He was at the first service. He's married to Shannon. They have Ellington and Theodore. They have two kids. Um, great people. He was a best friend in college, and he was my housemate here in town, and he was a touring uh, front-of-house engineer, and he was in Australia. He was on a tour with Maroon 5 and Sarah Bareilles, and he was mixing their sound, and I was like, while you're in Melbourne, you should meet my pastors while, they're, while, while, while you're there. So he was like, okay, I'll meet them. So I set up a coffee between Brahm and Dai and Trey. So Trey was like, hey, I met, I met your pastors. They were cool. Um, they mentioned something about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and something about speaking in tongues. I said, oh, don't worry about that. Uh, just, uh, oh, yeah, let's talk about something else. And I got really nervous because Trey grew up Catholic. He grew up, uh, he was a very, he, he, had gone, he was going to a Protestant church now, but he was very moral guy, more like just be a good person. That's all you really need uh, to know Jesus. Really proper guy, pretty uptight, something that I completely... I'm saying more when he's not here. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He'll tell you. Um, But I just completely disassociated him with with everything that I associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I had pretty much prejudged him. I pretty much said this is not for him because of his personality. I was very carnal, still young in my spiritual walk. Uh, And I was limiting people based off of perception opposed to truth. And fast forward, Diane and Brahm were in Nashville. They were ministering to our, they were hanging out at our house. It was just a hang. We went to eat. We went to City House. Great restaurant, by the way. And um, at the house hanging, it was me, my mom, dad, Ashley, Trey, Diane, and Brahm. It was a seven. And we would just start ministering and hanging out. They really wanted Trey to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was just going, because I just didn't think it was going to work, and I just thought it was going to, I don't know. Again, I was in my flesh. The Holy Spirit really got a hold of me because uh, I was about to get in the way of what God was doing. And I can get more into that later. There's a whole, it was a whole, that, that night is a message in itself. There was so, it was a very epic night. But long story short, my, Trey was like, hey, guys, like, before we, they said, do you want to pray? And he was like, okay, like, I don't know what this is, like. I don't want to disappoint you guys if nothing happens. And we're like, it's fine, Trey, it's fine. So he prayed and he asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He asked for the Holy Spirit to baptize him. And sure enough, he started um, praying in tongues. And then he started praying in tongues loudly. (laughs) And then it started getting louder to the point where I kind of started getting uncomfortable. And I grew up around them. I grew up with my mom. (laughs) I know loud. And I was nervous. I was like, because again, this is Trey. This is like, 
country club trade. And I'm watching him just, I'm watching the manifestation of God's spirit. And he's, when I tell you, okay, my rep, the best way I can describe this, if, if you know your Bibles, you can remember when Peter was led to, by Cornelius to go minister to the Gentiles. And they said when Peter saw the Holy Spirit come upon the Gentiles, he was amazed because he said they received the same thing that I have. What had happened to Trey had already happened to me. But when you see it happen to someone else who you wouldn't have thought that would have happened, it revolutionized my whole theology. Because now I realize that I have subconsciously limited this to upbringing, culture, personality type, education, and I was totally wrong. Here comes someone that didn't match anything of what I thought matched this. He received the same dose of God's fire, even honestly stronger. Trey, Trey was showing all of us up. We were, we were sitting around. It was funny because we were, it was like a worship service, but then like we got tired of singing. And the last 25 minutes, we were just in the living room watching Trey praying tongues. No music, no anything. We're just like, cool, okay, all right. He, he, he couldn't stop. So we're driving in the car. We're driving in the car. And I had to drive. I think it was his car, but he was in no place to drive. Like, it was like, it was like he had been drinking. Like, it, I mean, like, guys, and then, and, then, and then you think about it, and then you read the scripture, and sure enough, they thought that they were drunk. Right? So it's all in the Bible. So I'm witnessing this happen. So jo, jo, Trey's like, uh, like in the back. Like, just like. Next to me, and I'm driving home. It's like 2.30 at night, in the morning. And we're driving, and he's just like, uh, just like, just kind of like, kind of sleep, half sleep. And he just said, what was that? I said, well, Trey, that's, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I started explaining to him what had just happened. And it's like he sobered up immediately. He went, wait, you knew about this? I went, well, yeah, you know, why didn't you tell me? Are you kidding me? This is amazing. You've known, you've known about this. Oh, my God. So he starts getting his phone out. He starts texting all of our friends going, Seth needs to know about this. And I got to call Josh. He's got to know about this. And I got to tell. I said, Trey, it's 3 in the morning, man. It's 3 in the morning. Let's get some sleep and we can call him tomorrow. And seeing him baffled that something as beautiful and as powerful as the Spirit of God and the fact that someone, his own friend, knew about it and was keeping it from him. Guys, I thought I was protecting him. I was protecting myself. I was protecting the idea of being rejected because he might not believe in that. He might think I'm weird. And I was deceiving myself thinking that I was caring for him when all I was doing was keeping him from one of the greatest blessings that he had ever received. He said, who else doesn't know about this? So that was the birth of what led to Nashville Life. Nashville Life was founded on a simple question, and there's a lot to do with Trey. For me, it was if the Holy Spirit can baptize Trey, then who else can this go to? Because he represented a spectrum in my mind. That was like, 
it, and that basically anybody can. <laughs> like if Trey can, anybody can. And that was the question that led me and me and Trey. We for the next three weeks, we literally tried to find out who else can, and we just asked all of our friends. And 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 this is the this was the effect that we had in the beginning of Nash for Life. It's it's very much reflecting of Acts chapter two. Uh, sorry, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, 1 through 7. When I read this, every time I read this, I'm like, this was our life for, for a solid few years, actually, but especially in the beginning of Nashville life starting. Uh, follow with me. It says in verse 1, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And that's what I experienced repeatedly. People who knew Jesus, people who had been followers of Jesus but had never heard that this was real, and if they did hear that it was real, they heard that it was wrong, and they heard that it was fake, and there was just so much ignorance about it. They, they had not been exposed. They said, we didn't even know that this was real. Like, Trey, you knew about this? Trey had been a Christian, but he didn't know about this aspect of the Holy Spirit. He didn't know about the fact that God's power could be that intimately close to you, to a person. Uh, it says, we know about the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, and he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Which, by the way, no shade on that. Repentance is huge. That's how everything gets started. Praise God for the prayer of repentance. Praise God for being baptized of turning your life away from sin and towards Jesus. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, when the people heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. This was basically our ministry. We had some conversions, but the majority of our harvest in the beginning were people who had been saved Four years, five years, seven years, 20 years, 23 years, but for whatever reason had no idea that this was even in the Bible. I had to calm down people who were mad. We would read this. They said, I've been, I'm 34 years old. I never even knew that scripture was in the Bible. And I had to calm them down so they weren't resentful towards whoever, <laughs> whatever church they were in. Because I'm like, it's okay, you're receiving it now. You're, receive, you're, you're learning now. But that was what did it. And I want to tell you, too, guys, yes, speaking tongues is a part of it. Prophesying is a part of it. And I'm fully aware that that's very foreign to a lot of you. And it can be very intimidating. But what happens is the enemy uses that to create a roadblock. And the manifestations of the Holy Spirit prevent you from receiving the byproduct of that manifestation. So what happens was, yes, they spoke in tongues. Yes, they prophesied. But the byproduct was Trey texting his friends at 3 a.m. because they needed to know about Jesus. And that's what the enemy doesn't want us to realize. He wants us to see the tongues and go, oh, no, I can't go further. But on the other side of it is Trey feeling the need to share about the goodness of Jesus. Guys, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it launches ministry. It doesn't save you. 
it launches your ministry. The disciples, when they were in the upper room, they were already believers. They were already forgiven. It was the fire of God that launched them to go out and start telling everyone about the risen king. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is meant to set a fire in you to where that fire will spread to where you are compelled to share with others the goodness of your Jesus. And he gives you the passion for it. He doesn't even cause you to have to muster it up yourself because that's when it is about personality. If it was about personality, we would be at the mercies of all, only the extroverts, only the people who even without Jesus would just be loud and excited to talk to people. The Bible doesn't leave it to your personality. He gives you his passion by the Holy Spirit. There are too many ministers out there trying to minister out of their own personality and out of their own Enneagram type. And I'm not anti our personalities. At the same time, the Lord has provided us holy, the Holy Spirit to give us his passion to where we don't even have to reach and find ours. I have Jesus' passion living in me. I have his conviction to see people saved. So the pressure's off on me. I don't have to find this out of somewhere. I can receive it from God himself. <laughs> Guys, Peter, Peter was a bold, zealous guy. But when it was only his personality, that same bold Peter wasn't, didn't have the courage to admit that he knew Jesus to a slave girl. And he was actually considered an extroverted, bold, zealous guy. But when it's your own strength, when it was time for him to share the goodness of Jesus, he couldn't even speak to a little girl. But when he received the fire of God, when he received God's passion, that same Jesus, that same Peter who couldn't even fess up to knowing Jesus to a little slave girl stood on a platform and preached to thousands that wasn't his personality, guys. That was not his Enneagram code. That was the fire of God. Trey. Trey was the opposite of Peter. He was not a zealous, outgoing, talkative guy. He was very reserved. But the cool thing about the Holy Spirit doesn't matter your personality type. Because when you receive the fire of God, you will still obey the command. So here comes Paul, Pete, Trey, reserved, very soft-spoken, quiet guy calling people at 3 a.m. saying, can I talk to you about Jesus? Now, I don't recommend calling people at 3 a.m., but you get my point. He had a fire that he could not contain, and that is what started our church. So surprise, in case you didn't know that that's a part of our DNA, now you do. Not only did it launch the church uh, the beginning of the church, this capital C church, it started Nashville Life Church. And I'll end with this. The byproduct of all this, yes, people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yes, it started a fire. But it launched a movement of love that had the most unlikely of people living like this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I know this life. I'm so grateful that I don't have to read this like a fairy tale. I've experienced the spirit of family that has come as a result of the Holy Spirit uniting the most unlikely of people together. There were times we'd be late at night and we'd be eating Jet's pizza and I would see these people at a table and I'm thinking, how in the world are they here talking to each other? One time I saw... Uh, Cassandra and Blake just, you don't, if you don't, yeah. They were laughing so hard over a joke. And if you knew them and you could see this, I'm like, what could they possibly be laughing at together that hard? But that's what the Holy Spirit does. They, these are people that society says should not be crossing paths unless at the grocery store. These people should not be crossing paths unless you're at the movies. These people should not be crossing paths, definitely not on a Sunday, definitely not at church, definitely not in the context of Jesus. What is happening? How is, that's what the Holy Spirit, it's broken down barriers to where we have become a family, a family that was birthed by the Holy Spirit. And the last thing that I think that sets us apart or, or strength of ours. I pray this doesn't set us apart. My prayer is that every church in Nashville is, is, is focused on, on this particular scripture. But I, I can't speak for them. I, I just know what we're focusing on. And I know that this is what is very uh, essential to our DNA. And that is commitment to the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Since day one of Nashville life, we have been committed to making disciples. We haven't always known how, but we have been committed to do it. I've heard sometimes people say, well, the vision of Nashville life, the vision of Nashville life has never changed. From the very beginning, it's always been to make disciples, to follow Jesus and building leaders. Now, the method that we go about it, yes, it has evolved over the years, but the vision and the objective has never, and in Jesus' name, will never change. A lot of the ways we've done disciple making is through life groups. I remember our first life groups. I had one, Ashley had one, Shrey had one, and the Jamesons had one, Chandra and Morris. And we have four life groups. And that was where we started making disciples. People would come, we'd have a little food, we'd get into the word, and we saw people grow. And now we've got dozens of life groups. But it's so cool thinking that the Lord has given us this conviction from day one. To, and, but, but for those of you who aren't familiar, to make disciples it basically just means to, to have people find their belief in Jesus 
and to see them grow and mature to a place where they can multiply and then bring someone else in to see them mature and for somebody else to go and see them mature. It's about maturing believers beyond just the initial conversion and maturing them to a point where they can actually multiply. Almost like with nature, you have to receive a certain level of maturity to, to, to multiply, right? So when it comes to people who get saved, that's great. But we have so many babes in Christ. Without discipleship, they, be, they, they remain babes. They remain babies. And the faith and discipleship is taking them from babies to toddler to, to adolescents to teenagers to young adult to, to mature. And you're teaching them how to sustain in their faith, to go through storms in their faith, to go through ups in their faith and downs in their faith, to go through um, all types of seasons in their faith to where they can then teach others to do the same. Jesus says to teach them all that I have commanded you, which is why discipleship is more than just a semester. It's more than just a class. It's more than just a conference. In order for us to learn all that Jesus has commanded us, it takes a lifetime. Discipleship is a lifetime commitment. In natural life, we're only 10 years in. We have a long way to go because as long as there's that many people out there who don't believe in Jesus, as long as there's that many people who maybe believe in Jesus but they, they never matured in Jesus, as long as there's people out there who have no idea that the scriptures are listed or in the Bible, we have a lot of work to do. But God is going to give us the grace if we learn how to deal with offense so we can actually do the work, right? That's why we got to handle the small stuff. I saw Craig Rochelle post, he said, your calling is too big for you to be offended by something so small. We've let the smallest things abort the greatest callings. And if you trace back to what actually happened, it's like that, you, we let that tiff sabotage all of this, guys, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So let's be speedy and let's be private about settling things so that we can go on and start making disciples and see this city change for Jesus. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, your wisdom, God. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray, Father, for everyone who's here, every heart that is here, God. I pray, Lord, for, for uh, your spirit to touch their hearts, to go past the walls, to go past the, the questions, the offenses, the, the resentment, the confusion, the fatigue, whatever it is, God. I pray that you go past it to where it can reach the core of their hearts, God. And I pray, Lord that um, particularly with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Lord, this is a promise. This is a promise that Jesus gave to anyone who called him Lord, that he would send the, the, the fire of God, that the Holy Spirit would, would, would plant a passion that comes directly from God in all of our hearts. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that your spirit would, would uh, motivate and give every person the courage to take this step of faith. If not today, then soon, God, so that the Holy Spirit can fill their words, fill their mouths in a way where it, where it generates a passion that is not from them, but a passion that is directly from you. God, and I pray that with that fire, 
Lord, their coworkers and their friends and their, their siblings and their parents and their children, Lord, would be, be able to hear about the goodness of Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to, to ask for this, for this fire to come upon their life. And just like it happened in Scripture, God, I pray, Lord, that you would enable them to, to speak in new tongues, to, to, to prophesy the goodness of God. Lord, so that your kingdom can grow and so that more people can know about you, Jesus. But honestly, Lord, even more primary than that, I'm praying for those who are in the room who don't know Jesus as their personal Savior, who haven't made the commitment to make him the Lord of their lives, who haven't fully left the world and are still torn between following the world and, and following Jesus. God, I pray that you bring just a sense of your love into their hearts. Lord, help them to sense your mercy for their life, to sense your grace, to sense the promise that you have for their lives, God. Help them see that it's worth it. It's worth it to forsake everything else and to give their hearts totally to you, Jesus. Lord, that's why we're here, so people can know about you. That's why this church exists, so more people can follow you as Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask for everyone just to close your eyes. Please, please respect this request. Close your eyes because I want anyone who wants to make that decision to make Jesus Lord. Maybe you believed him, maybe you know him, but... Maybe you hadn't made him the actual Lord of your life. And without anybody looking, just briefly raise your hand. If there's anybody who's ready to say yes to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Just wait one second. If you're ready to say yes to him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus. Can, we, can you guys repeat this prayer after me? I want to give everyone a chance to confess the lordship of Jesus. So say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. Let's thank him for his mercy. Let's thank him for his, his spirit, his grace.
Thank you, Jesus. I want to reiterate that our life group sign up is is happening now. So um, the primary way that we make disciples here at Nashville Life is via life groups. So if, if you're ready to step out and to start uh, making yourself available for friends to hear about Jesus, um, commit to do a life group. It's a shorter semester this summer, so it'd be a good time to, to test it out. At the very least, make sure you sign up to attend one because that's where a lot of the growth has happened over the years of Nashville Life. Um, I'm going to invite anyone who wants prayer to come down at the service. We're going to dismiss right now, but I'm going to ask for anyone who said yes to Jesus, if you put your hand up and if you want to receive prayer, we've got a team that's going to be right here to pray for you. If not, you can text BELONG to 77411 and we can connect with you that way. We'll send you some content that'll help you in your faith journey with some scriptures. Um, if you would like prayer for anything, if it's not related to salvation, you want prayer, maybe you want to be prayed for uh, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're ready to take this step and receive the fire of God and, and, and experience what I was talking about, we would be happy to pray with you. Um, if you would like to give, thank you in advance. Um, you can give online by texting Nashville Life to that same number, 77411. And our team in the back has buckets if you would like to give a physical offering for your ties, whatever you want to give. It's greatly appreciated. And um, next steps is next week. So if you want to learn more about the church, if you're ready to take the next step in learning about our vision, come next week uh, after this service. And guys, happy anniversary. Happy birthday. We love you. And uh, I'm going to pray a dismissal, and uh, I pray that y'all enjoy your afternoon. Father, thank you again. We pray a blessing over every person who's here, every family that is represented. God, send us home with your fire, with your passion, God, so that the kingdom of God can grow through the people in this room. God, bring us back next week or on our life groups during the midweek, and uh, we'll just continue to praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, God. Thank you so much. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.